Today's scripture is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Now, I don't know if you grew up with the, tra the tradition of going around the Thanksgiving table and talking about what you're thankful for. Who, who grew up with that tradition? Yeah, a few of us did. Um, in my work as a therapist, I come across a lot of families uh, that have children, um, and the families have considerable means. Um, and as a therapy exercise, I say, sometimes say, let's pretend it's Thanksgiving. What do you have to be grateful for? And would you believe it, despite everything they have, uh, all of the wealth and blessings that surround their lives, sometimes they can't find a single thing to be grateful for. Um, it doesn't come to mind for them that they, they live in a country with a relatively high degree of freedom. Um, it doesn't come to mind for them to recognize that they were born to a time in history where their futures are going to be characterized by a little bit less backbreaking labor than, than their forebears. No family is perfect, but it, it's easier to find fault in, in your siblings' imperfections than it is to say thank you that they let you watch your favorite show tonight or play the game you wanted to play or helped you clean up after dinner. Gratitude, I'm convinced, is a matter of perspective. Um, and so is wealth for that matter. Um, Paul, who, let me remind you, is writing Ephesians while under house arrest, he has just finished singing about the believer's riches in Christ. Riches from the Father. Oh, that is my alarm. Excuse me. Silence those cell phones. I'm speaking to myself mostly. <laughs> Uh, so he's Paul is talking about and singing. He's singing about the riches we have in Christ. Riches from the Father, um, who in verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predest predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. We have riches from the Son in verse 7. whom we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins. And because of our union with Christ in verse 11, we've been chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with his will and purpose. We've received an inheritance from God. 
And we have riches from the Holy Spirit, who in verse 14 is God's guarantee that, that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he purchased for us to be his own people. The whole Trinity is at work in the beginning of this passage, providing every spiritual blessing in Christ, both now eternity and the to come eternity, as God brings everything together under Christ. Wealth is clearly a matter of perspective because Paul can sing of these spiritual blessings that he's in possession of even when he's under house arrest. He can sing of his freedom that ha that's been purchased for him in Christ, even when, strictly speaking, he is not a free man. The first chapter of Ephesians reads more like a song than it does like a treatise. Um, because it's coming from a person who truly knows how rich he is in Christ. You know, even though it's easy to throw the, the, the rich kids under the bus uh, as the model of ingratitude, <laughs> I know I sometimes need a perspective shift myself. Um, often, I need a perspective shift myself. Paul prays for the Ephesians that, that they would gain spiritual wisdom and, and revelation to know God better, that their hearts would see in such a way that they would hold on to hope, that they would know the riches of the, their inheritance as God's holy people that they would know how great God's resurrection power truly is. I know we could all use at least one of those things in our lives right now, hey? But how do we move into this? Um, how do we actually make this shift where we're living from a place, where, where we can get to a place of living from, in abundance in Christ rather than a place of, of scarcity? Um, I want to pray as we begin reflecting on this passage together. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the wisdom that you've placed in your word. Um, I pray that we would respond to your call to make more space in our life, um, to truly know you better. And I pray that our perspective would change as we open our hearts again to you, whose power knows no bounds. We pray this in Christ. Amen. What, what we're going to see in this passage this morning um, is that it's all about knowing God. Um, about living life as his beloved children and being start, stirred up again to run towards him, to run towards God. The context of our passage is, is the description of Paul's prayer life. Um, Paul is moved to thank God because God is at work. Paul says that ever since I heard about your faith, that is the faith of the Ephesian church, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and ever since I heard about your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks to you. In his prayers, the content is thanksgiving. He's thankful because God is already at work in the lives of the Ephesians. Paul is just along for the ride. And if I could summarize the roadmap of how God wants us to grow in reading Ephesians, it's, it's really the way that the Ephesians themselves have grown, right? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for all the saints. Faith and love. God wants us to trust Jesus. And not just trust in his work as, as being sufficient, but, but really to trust him as the Lord of, of our decisions, as, as our truest work, workplace boss, and in retirement as, as, as the captain of our ship, the one who 
the one who leads us. And God wants us to be motivated by, by love, love for others, even people we don't naturally click with. Faith and love. What's interesting is that both of these things are gifts of God. They come from God. During my seminary studies, I took this class in apologetics. I just had an interest in apologetics. Um, always be prepared. That was our, that was our passage for missions, missions Month um, or Rev 7 Month. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope you have. In, in apologetics, the, the idea is using logic, right, to, to be prepared to be an answerer. Um, and one question I thought about for a while was what difference does Christianity, Christianity make to the field of ethics, right? Christians aren't the only ones with morals, and they aren't the only people who, who use moral reasoning um, in ethical decision-making. Um, yes, in Christianity, you have the, the law of love, but this ideal has been present in Eastern philosophy uh, before the dawn of Christianity. Um, if, if relationship is a good, so is the notion of placing values in others, hence love of others. Um, what does Christianity actually have to contribute to the notion of what is good? And can cre Christianity actually create a more, more moral being? Those are some of the questions that were rattling around in my head. And you know, one moral equivalent that, that is unequivocally unique to, to the Abrahamic faith is the call to love God as he reveals himself in Scripture. There is no moral philosophy that can facilitate the, this, this vertical dimension of love. Um, and there's no religion, not even Christianity itself, that can fulfill this requirement. Only God himself can cause you to love him. Only God can do that. And only God can give you the faith you need to love him. Faith and love. No wonder Paul is thankful because he's celebrating that God is already at work creating these things in the Ephesians. God's hand is evident. Wherever you see faith and love at work, God's hand is evident. Um, faith and love. And perhaps we can add hope to the mix, too, uh, which Paul does later in our passage. Um, it's been said that, that real faith in Christ will always lead to real love for others. And you know what I make of that statement? Is it, I mean, God wants us not just intellectually to get it all. He doesn't just want us to understand the doctrines. He wants that knowledge to transform us. Um, when we hear that God has a plan from all of eternity, past into the future, that God has planned to adopt us as his children, when we hear that God has a heavenly abundance, when we hear that God has, is bringing everything and, in fact, has brought everything under the rule of Christ, I mean, God wants something to happen in you. God wants you to be changed by that. He wants faith's roots to dig really deep so that you feel secure, so that your faith is resilient. He wants you to move from having a weak prayer life and feeling slighted by others, being critical of others in their ministries, having recurring bouts of self-pity and joylessness in your work and in your life. He wants you to move from that to knowing the most important source of our security, of our abundance, that riches. It's already yours in Christ. It's already guaranteed our future so we can be calm in the storms of life and we can remain unflappable when, when, when things are down. Um, 
I mean, God wants you to know there is an abundance. And I think we can be honest that most of us aren't there yet, right? And so that's why, actually, there's a, a, a movement in, in this description of Paul's prayer from one of thanksgiving to one of supplication. Verse 17, we can read this. I, ke- I keep asking that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And, and the, first, the first thing I want to say there is that, that actually maybe the spirit of wisdom, maybe there's a better translation for that. And you might see it in some of the footnotes of your Bible. Some of, some of the um, more, more reliable source texts, um, they don't have a, def, a, def, a definite article in front of spirit there. So it's better translated a spirit of rather than the spirit of. Um, so the first, the first reason why that's better is, is grammatical, right? So I'm saying that there's, there's, no, there's no article there. So it's referring to the gifts that God gives rather than the person of God, the gift and not the giver. But the second reason is theological because Paul has already said that the, the, the Ephesians are, are Christians. <laughs> they already have the Holy Spirit. Um, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit has somehow deserted them and they need, and they need the Holy Spirit back. I think he's saying um, that he wants wisdom and knowledge to become ingrained in their characters. Um, and, and indeed, in, in our characters, I mean, spiritual wisdom and revelation and knowledge, um, I mean, that's our prayer, that we'd see with the eyes of Christ, um, that we would possess spiritual knowledge so that we would know God's heart. And then when we come to know God's heart, we, we know God better. We know God himself better. Um, I mean, this is the, the movement that Francis Schaeffer describes as, as the movement from head knowledge to heart knowledge, um, of letting something actually change you. You know, love has the power to change you. Love has the power to change you. In a very real sense, though, we all have the power in our hearts to remain unmoved by love. To resist. <laughs> to close up. Um, and so the next supplication makes sense, right? In verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. In the, in the ancient world, light, light was an analogy for, for sight. Um, Jesus himself said, the eye is the body's lamp. Um, a prayer that eyes be enlightened is a prayer for sight. Um, perhaps you'd even imagine this as a prayer for the blind, that eyes be open to see. So holding that in view, I mean, the, the heart also has a wider significance um, in the ancient world as the seat of the will. Um, so, so to pray that the eyes of the heart um, would be opened is, in a sense, to pray that, that a person would be changed by, I mean, perhaps the power of perspective, um, to the point where even their character is changed. Paul is praying that, that knowing God would change us. Um, and the remainder of Paul's prayer isn't that we would be changed by knowing certain truths about God or knowing certain doctrines. Um, he's, he's saying that um, when we are changed, 
right? We, we might appreciate certain truths. <laughs> the, the shift has already occurred, right? It's almost like you can't fully value something um, until you are changed. Um, and being changed, that, that's God's work again, right? God is the one at work in changing hearts. But it's something that we have the choice to yield to um, or to resist. It's something that we, we can create space for when we talk to God in prayer. Um, it's, growing in spiritual wisdom often comes from studying Scripture um, rather than just searching inside our own heads for the, the answers to life's questions. Um, I mean, yielding to God. It's something you can do by coming under the purview of, of other Christians who can see your life. Um, God uses the church, um, which is to say God uses Christians that are organized under and submitted to Christ um, to help in this work. Um, so, so you can yield, you can submit to, but you, equally you can, you can resist the work of God by busying your lives and leaving no time for prayer, by neglecting the study of Scripture, by avoiding accountability, by being noncommittal with church. Every day, we have the ability to open or close the door to our hearts, to that knock of God on our hearts. We have the ability to say yes and to say no. So next, what we get in verse 18 is, is Paul lists a, a number of important Christian truths that themselves do not have the power to change us, but having been changed by God, they help us to make that shift from a mentality of scarcity to one of abundance. I mean, Paul talks about the hope to which we're called. He talks about the inheritance of God's people. He talks about God's resurrection power, which is for us. I mean, there is a good future. And his power is at work among us now. I mean, that is a perspective shift, is it not? Sometimes we need to take that perspective shift. It's so easy to exist in a place where we focus on what we lack and forget that God not only promises a good future, but by his spirit, his power is at work in our lives today. I liked Johan's reflections last week about being at the beach and seeing the horizon line and and how that can change his perspective. I mean, oftentimes, awe can do that, right? Staring at something bigger than ourselves. It helps put the stressors of life in, in their right place. I mean, in the same way, when we see the finished work of God, when we see that image of Christ ruling upon the throne, a world that knows peace, work that is not frustrating but is rewarding, relationships that mutually build up, and we see that, a vision of that. But then when we see the kingdom breaking in around us and, and glimpses of those things in our everyday lives, I mean, that helps to put things into perspective, does it not? You know, as I think about applying this passage, this word, a few things jump out at me. I mean, the first thing is prayer. I mean, Paul, this is a prayer. This is a prayer of thanksgiving and supplication for other believers. I was reminded this week about how thankful I am uh, when I get a uh, text from Rob Antonucci, <laughs> just letting me know that he's currently praying for me. Uh, this week I got a few texts from people at church letting me know that they're committing to pray for the pastors at North Point. You know, it's easy to say, 
I'll pray for you. But it's another thing altogether to commit to pray for someone. I mean, when God stirs up in your heart that you should pray for someone, I mean, do it. Let's do it. Let's do it immediately. Um, And then let's commit to write their names down. And then let's text them. Let them know we're praying for them. Let them know how we're praying for them. And I promise you, it will be encouraging. The second thing that jumps out to me about this passage in terms of application is, is gratitude. I mean, we don't always have to think about the consummation of of all things, or about the resurrection of God. I mean, we can think about the, the love that God has shown for us in the cross. I mean, we can think about the people he's placed in our lives to help establish us. We can think about how God made a world beyond functionality, to have plants and animals that create beauty and whimsy. God is the author of life and rightly can receive glory for any good thing in your life. I want to say that again. God is the author of life and rightly can receive glory for any good thing in your life. I mean, even an Olympic athlete that trains so hard to to make it to that level of performance can thank God for her ability. Um, And the the life circumstances um, that, that open the right doors at the right time. And so also those two with trials. Who, who actually do suffer uh, from material scarcity. They can notice the things around them. I, re- I remember the author of that book, 1,000 Gifts, uh, hearing her talk in um, Voskamp. She, she talked about her experience starting a gratitude journal. Um, she wanted to commit to write 1,000 things she was grateful for. And, and what she found was that gratitude is contagious and it grows exponentially. The more you do it, the more natural it becomes. Um, I mean, I truly believe that wealth is a matter of perspective. I mean, we are all rich to the point of abundance with what we have in Christ. And then we can think about the people Christ has given us and the the world around us that, that has so much goodness. Wealth is a matter of perspective. Finally, the last point of application here, I didn't talk so much in the passage, but it jumps out at me, is is, is holiness. Um, Our passage begins by talking about um, the love for all God's people, which literally in in Greek is is the holy ones. Our love for the holy ones, or the people that are dedicated to God's service. And then verse 18, it talks about the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I mean, think about it. The Holy Spirit is called holy because why? (laughs) I mean, because that's what God is. And that's what God does. God is holy, and God creates holy. That's what God is. That's what God does. And our passage ends with this triumphal picture of Christ, who's appointed as head over all things. And you know, Christ chooses to make his church holy. I mean, if you're wondering where the church is going, where the conductor of the train is leading us, what God's doing, well, he's making you holy. He's making us holy. Yielding to God means doing the sorts of things that allow him to do his work in us. Coming under the teaching of Scripture, studying Scripture, submitting to its authority, also submitting yourself to church membership, 
since Christ appoints uh, the church to exercise his loving rule in the lives of his followers. So prayer, gratitude, holiness, those are the things that, that, that stand out to me from this passage. And we can all use at least one of those things in our lives uh, right now. And while the heart changes God's work, make no doubt, yielding to that work is, is his invitation to us today, submitting to that work. Um, and summer is a good time to get practical, I think. So I want to give just one very practical point of application, which is, which is more of a suggestion or an idea. Maybe it's a, something to, to bounce off of. Um, some may say, I'm too busy to pray. Others say, I'm too busy not to pray. Um, but don't you want to gush with excitement over the, the people around us that are growing in their faith and in their love? Um, I mean, let's commit to pray for one another, hey? That God would open the eyes of our hearts, uh, that we would see to the full extent the blessings we have in Christ. I mean, if you don't have a prayer journal... Get one. Get, get, get a notebook. Get a three-subject notebook. Um, and, and you might consider utilizing a tab system in it. Um, and that, that's something where you assign days of the week to, to pray for different types of things. I mean, you have the daily prayers, the urgent things, maybe the, the 911 types of prayers that we pray for every day. But maybe on Sunday, you could pray for your home, like the people closest to you. Maybe on Monday you can pray for ministry and, and finances. Um, maybe on Tuesday you can pray for extended family and friends. Um, maybe Wednesday you can pray for missions, for, for people that are doing God's work. Um, maybe Thursday you can pray for unbelieving family, unbelieving friends, those that don't know Christ. Maybe on Friday you can pray for government and so, social justice. They, the news events, things that are going on in the world. Maybe Saturday, you can pray for the church and its, its work, its leaders, um, in anticipation of Sunday. So you might consider buying a three-subject three notebook. I mean, in the first section, include this prayer log. In the section, second section, maybe that can lead into a gratitude journal uh, where you just reflect on things you're grateful for, um, things around you. Um, and in the third section, maybe you can include some reflections on your devotions, um, maybe passages that you want to memorize, things you want to come back to. Um, I mean, if you do use the tab system, you pr probably you want to separate the days, um, maybe with like eight or nine or ten pages or something like that, so that you have room to adapt and grow as, as prayers are, are, are change, um, as situations change. Um, as you need to cross things out, add them back to the list, or, or however it might work. Um, I mean, a prayer journal is not an eternal thing. I, you, I mean, maybe it lasts for three months. Maybe it lasts for six months. Um, but it can be a big encouragement to keep it as well, to just hold on to it and, and, and go back to it. Um, in, a, in a season of dryness, to, to look at, at what God has done in your life. Um, I do think sometimes um, there are other structures that can help us to be intentional. I mean, small group is one of those structures for me, which helps me to be intentional. Um, 
It helps me to, uh, to really dig into Scripture um, at, at least once a week with other people, trying to, trying to understand what God is saying through that. Um, can be good to be part of a prayer group, too. Um, and, and, you know, maybe this summer, leaning into a relationship um, that can be an encouragement, mutually encouragement, encouraging thing. Um, I mean, other people help us to be grateful, do they not? Um, so I know that was very, um, very much one idea. Um, but I, I guess I want us to keep talking about this, because this, this, is, this is where we're going this summer, and I think it's good to be practical. Um, I mean, this is a passage that is a prayer, um, and it's also a passage that, that opens our eyes up to, to see that, that wealth is not strictly material. Um, and it's also something that shows us what, what Christ is doing. I mean, Christ, who is head over, over the church, I mean, he wants us to be holy. He wants us to lead holy lives. Um, so as I close, I, 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 I'm going to pray, but as I pray, I, I want to invite you to, to listen to God and to, to hear where God might be nudging you. Um, let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you do lead the church. I thank you that you call us to lives of holiness. I thank you that you are very much at work with resurrection power in, the, in, in our lives and the, the lives of those around us. And I thank you that you, um, you give us so much to be grateful for. Um, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we would see the riches that we have in Christ. We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.